Well, church, if you would turn to Exodus chapter 33, and we will continue our study through that book. I believe we've just got one more week, I think, maybe two, but uh, a, lot of, a lot of commentators treat those last um, six chapters or so together, and I'll probably follow their lead on that. But tonight we're going to be in Exodus 33, verse 7, through the end of chapter 34. Um, why don't we why don't we read let's read uh, verse 7 33 7 through the end and then come back and and make some comments Exodus 33 verse 7 it says this now Moses used to make the tent and pitch it outside the camp far off from the camp and he called it the tent of meeting and everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the, cloud of, uh, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw that the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, and all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door... Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So there's kind of maybe a little foreshadowing of Joshua becoming this assistant to, to Moses, and that's a foreshadowing of, of the later leadership role that he would take, perhaps. In verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people." And he said, my presence, and of course God speaking here, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. It's an interesting theme if you draw that out from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The folks in the Old Testament needed rest. We find eternal rest in the finished work of Jesus. Verse 15, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other nation on the face of the earth? In my Bible, that's highlighted. This Moses is, is just declaring to God that the only, or, or the, not the only, but the main thing that sets us off from the other nations and from the false gods is that our God goes with us. Our God draws near. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy 
on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for a man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So, interesting things happening here in Exodus. In this little scene, what we have, we've just looked at the first, I don't know, the first act. But in this little scene, we see a rapid-fire display of who God is and who He is to His people. His nearness marks Him off from false gods. His forgiving nature is soothing to us, and His holiness must be reflected by His people. Those are kind of the three things that we will see. God is near, God is forgiving, and God is holy. Perhaps... You could say that that is the story of Exodus. God is a God who draws near. He is a God who's forgiving, but he's a God who is holy all at the same time. So looking at God is near, just the passage that we just read, it was quite lengthy, but, but God is near. While other gods, little g gods, and I've got that in scare quotes on your paper, these gods must be appeased, and they can come and go, and they're fickle, and they're unpredictable. They need to be conjured, almost like some kind of seance can bring them forth, perhaps, and they may not even come, uh, you know, they, they may not even come through on that. You, you think, I've given this example before, but like the, the prophets of Baal tried to conjure their God. They try to, they slash their arms and they cry out to their God, you know, would you show up? And, and of course, you know, Elijah is able to taunt them and say, you know, is your God indisposed? Is he sleeping? So while other gods must be appeased and can come and go or perhaps not show up at all because at the end of the day, they're not real, Yahweh shows covenant love toward his people. Now, if you've noticed on your paper, I have that, those two words, covenant love, capital C, capital L. And that's because in the Old Testament, this is a thing, there is a Hebrew word for it. You could write this down if you like, if you're a big note taper, uh, note taker in the in the margins there, hesed, h e s e d. H e s e d, his hesed love. It is meant to to refer to his covenant love that he keeps with his people even when his people are faithless. God still keeps covenant love to them. God is faithful even when his people are faithless. He has hesed. He has this covenant love toward them. Friends, this this should give us great comfort. Because if God acted this way on that side of the cross, if God acted toward his people in this hesed love, in this covenant love, even when they were faithless and fickle, God was still faithful to his promises, how much more will he act this way toward those who are in Christ today? Because our salvation is secure in Christ. Our relationship with God is secure in Christ. He has poured out his covenant love on us by keeping his promises in Jesus. He promised that Jesus would come and Jesus did come. He foretold that Jesus would die and Jesus did die. And then the clincher, he promised that Jesus would rise again and he did. 
God's covenant love to us is secure in Christ. Moses is well aware of his people's sin, of the people's sin, which leads him to a natural question. Will God's presence continue to go with this stiff-necked people? We see that coming up in a couple of moments. He basically asked, you know, or he, not, not coming up, but we just, we just covered it. God says, my presence will go with you. And Moses said, if your presence won't go with me, do not bring us up from here. In other words, I know these people, they're a stiff-necked bunch. God, are you still going to be with us? Because, I mean, look at the ways that we've sinned against you. Look at the way, even while I was up with you on the mountain, the people broke out. You had to strike some of them down. The people made this idol while I was communing with you, and they, didn't even, they weren't even able to, to tarry just a little while. almost reminds us of the couple of disciples when Jesus is praying in the garden. They can't even wait an hour or two. Moses says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. And then Moses asked the question, is it not in your going with us that we are distinct? In other words, this is the thing that makes us different. We have a God who is near. We have a God who cares. We have a God who has condescended. He has made himself accessible to us. Moses is a little afraid that the people's sin is going to remove God's presence from them. They knew, or they learned here, that God's hesed love, his covenant love, cannot be turned away. Not because of the goodness of the people, but because of the goodness of the God who has the love and does the loving. And in the same way, we New Testament believers can say with Paul, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall height or depth or famine or sword or pestilence or tribulation? By no means. By no means. The love of God cannot be separated from those who are in him. God reassures Moses of the security of their relationship. And when he does that, Moses asks boldly, God, show me your glory, which was the inspiration from the third day contemporary worship song. Show me your glory, right? Send down your presence. I want to see your face. So we see here a, a, a Christ connection. Because of the finished work of Jesus, we can have this deep desire for God satisfied. He encourages us to, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace in Hebrews 4. Further, in Christ, we have truly seen God. John 14, 9 says, whoever, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can this mystery be? Moses wants to see the glory of God and God has to shield him from it because no one can see God in a full measure and live. But then at the same time, in some way, in some mysterious way, whoever knows Christ knows the Father. This triune God, which we're going to be learning about on Wednesday nights as we, cont- as we study the Trinity, it's interesting, I, I actually got a little, we did that one lesson on the Trinity, kind of that introduction lesson, and then I just got to the place where I was like, I need to do a little more study before I keep teaching on it. And so I ordered a 260-page book, And I'm only about halfway through it. So on Wednesday night, we're not going to be learning about the Trinity until I finish studying a little more. Uh, But but that's 
That's where we are. We see the Trinity here. This, this God who is one God in three persons. Those who have seen Christ have seen the Father. So we learn this, this, this truth. Um, Moses wanted to see, he had a desire to see and to know God. For those of us on this side of the cross who desire to see God, we can through Jesus. We can know him through Jesus. Secondly, God is forgiving. Here we've only got 10 verses, so why don't we read those first 10 verses in, uh, in chapter 34 and see what we uh, might, might learn, might glean from the scriptures here. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, like the first, right? We're revisiting something that's already happened. Remember the first set of stones? What happened to them? Yeah, threw them down, they're broken, right? The first time God gives them the Ten Commandments, gives them the tablets of stone, their sin causes this break of the relationship. But now, as an act of God's love and forgiveness, what's he doing? He's, he's renewing the covenant. He's allowing them to have this experience again. The Lord said, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Isn't this dangerous? Because the last time you came up on the mountain, we had a pretty bad situation, right? <laughs> let no flocks or herd graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hands two tablets of stone the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord the Lord a God merciful and gracious by the way you'll see this reflect this refrain other places in the Old Testament the Lord the Lord merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness Keeping steadfast love, by the way, little inside, insider knowledge, whenever it says steadfast love right there, steadfast love, that's hesed. It's a covenant love, steadfast love. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in hesed love and faithfulness, keeping hesed love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. And he said, verse 10, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels, such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. So God's forgiveness and his covenant love is on full display here as he renews this covenant with his people. It's, it's, uh, it's almost a, a replay of earlier events in a sense, 
the two new stone tablets are inscribed and the covenant is renewed. But in the midst of this, the character of God is reiterated. What kind of God does this? What kind of God restores relationship with a stiff-necked people? The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will not clear the guilty. In other words, he will not sweep sin under the rug. Forgiveness is offered, but justice will come for those who do not have their sins taken care of. The balance here between God's forgiveness and God's justice, it explains his actions toward his people when they sin, right? Forgiveness is there. It's there for the taking. It's there. Certainly, this does not rule out punishment for sin, right? Just as a father can truly forgive his son, even as he disciplines his son, right? You wouldn't expect the son to look up at his dad while he's getting a spanking and say, but dad, I thought you forgave me. Well, son, I did forgive you, but sin has consequences, right? And because I love you, you're going to have to be disciplined. Moses worships and again acts as an intercessor for the people, asking God to forgive them for their stubbornness and sin. So, there's that intercessor work that he has once again as he is foreshadowing Christ, who will come and do that intercessory work one last time. Lastly, we see that God is holy. Verses 11 through 35. Um, Let's see. I don't know how to do this justice other than to read it, so why don't you just read along with me. Verses 11 through the end of the chapter. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their Asherim, which are just gods and high places. You shall uh, worship no other god, for uh, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And when you go, uh, and when they, let's see, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of their sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. You shall not make for yourselves any gods of cast metal, You shall eat, I'm sorry, you shall keep the feast of the unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For the month of Abib you came out of Egypt. Go down to verse 21. Talks about the Sabbath. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. In other words, even when it's inconvenient, rest. And then look at verse 25. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened or let the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover remain until the morning. So he's he's telling, you must continue to do these things. You must continue to be holy. Why? Because I am a holy God. And as the people of Israel, you are supposed to be marked out by these certain things. Verse 27, And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words. For in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. He was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. 
and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses, verse 29, when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. By the way, this is actually a, probably a positive development. Previously, when he was up on the mountain, they were a little too casual about God. Now, at least, they've learned a lesson, and they're a little hesitant to go near this man with a glowing face, because they don't want to even possibly transgress God. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and the leaders in the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. After all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them, all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai, and when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. So, very interesting stuff, but notice what happens here. The outflow, the overflow of receiving God's forgiveness is a lifestyle of worship and reverence. Even in the Old Testament, before Christ, knowing God was supposed to overflow in your life in a particular way, through worship, through a changed life, through reverence, through worship. We Today, we do the same things. We are supposed to flee from idolatry, right? Whatever that might look like in your particular life, in my particular life, flee from idolatry, obey God, follow His commands, and hopefully, through the gospel, we will be changed. We will see a moral and practical change in our lives. Further, we see the people are, are to resist intermarrying with the nations, not because of any kind of racial discrimination or anything like that. These passages have been, have been twisted in the history of the world to, to try to justify certain things like that. But they are to resist intermarrying because of the human tendency toward taking the gods of the people that you're marrying into, right? The problem with the peoples of the nations is not that they're not like us, but the problem is they serve gods who are false, and we can't get close to doing that. That's what God is telling them to do here. The golden calf incident is as much of an example as we need of Israel's proclivity or their, their givenness, their tendency toward this kind of thing. How does this connect to the gospel? Well, at least this way. While Moses' face radiated the glory of God when it was unveiled, Paul says that believers have unveiled faces as well. What does this mean? Moses took the veil off when he went in to see God's presence. Friends, in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We live, as it were, with unveiled face right now. Because of what Jesus has done, we get to enter the presence of God. See that in 2 Corinthians 3.18. In other words, because of the change that has happened to us, there's a noticeable difference also, and also a mission to show others the glory that we have seen. The hope is that we would be so changed by the gospel that when we go out and interact with others and share the gospel with them, there would be a noticeable something else about our lives. 
just as Moses had this glow on his face because he had been in the presence of the Almighty, I pray that we would be people, I pray that I would be a person who so knows God that it shows up in the way that I interact with others and that they would notice something different. That's not the sum of the gospel. I still think we have to speak the gospel to people, right? Faith comes by hearing, but it is a hope that there would just be a noticeable change. I, a mentor of mine, when, 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 uh, we were, when I was growing up, he told me this story of going into a restaurant. And it was one of these, it was one of these cafeteria-style restaurants. It was like a K&W you know, restaurant. K&W restaurants are just interesting places, right? You go in and it's like tile floors and the little, you know, the little golden or the brass rails and you go through and everything is so loud, you know, and you're shouting out your orders and people are shouting to you. And then you walk into this little carpeted area with these leather seats and this soft music is playing. It's like, I feel like I just had whiplash, you know, anyway. But K&W cafeteria type place and, and uh, my, this, this mentor of mine, um, was giving his order to a lady behind the counter. And she was just exuding this joy, right? It was just, she was happy to be at work. She was happy to serve who was, whoever was in front of her. She was just happy to be living life. And he leaned in and he just, he said, how long have you been walking with the Lord? And she said, 27 years, you know, or whatever the case may be. He just knew that she was a believer and she just knew exactly why it would make sense to ask her that question. You know, beautiful story of how her face just exuded the glory of God in her, in her job and in her workplace. How can we apply this? Well, I would ask you and I would ask myself, what ways can we remove idolatry, idols from our lives? Perhaps it's a, I don't know, a distraction. Perhaps it's a sin pattern. Perhaps it's a vision of ourselves or a vision of the life that we want. Perhaps it's a possession. But out of thankfulness for God's gospel and a desire to draw uh, near, I suppose, uh, out of thankfulness for God's gospel and His desire, I should say, to draw near to you, to draw near to us, what can you, what can we remove that's in our way? I'd ask you to consider that in your heart. And then secondly, how might you, how might we radiate God's glory before those that God has put in our way? Why don't we reflect on those things tonight as we pray and sing one last song uh, of reflection, asking God to make us people who are changed by His gospel, who know what it means to see Him with unveiled face, as it were, and who uh, can exude um, the glory of God to others around us. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I pray that it would have been clear tonight. I pray that the church here that gathered in this room would be built up, edified, so that we might be increasingly a church that is taking the gospel to our neighborhood and to the nations. Lord, I pray that you would give the believers in this room opportunities this week to share the gospel with someone. And I pray that we would be bold to take that opportunity. Lord, we can decry the culture, how the culture isn't what it ought to be, how the world just isn't what it was when we were growing up, or even in my short lifetime, things have changed so radically. But Lord, I pray that we would also be people who would do something about it. Because we know that the only thing, the only thing that has any power to press back against the darkness of the world is the light of the gospel. Help us to be quick to share it. We pray 
In the name of Jesus, amen. Our hymn of response tonight is number 606, The Way of the Cross Leads Home. Let's all stand, number 606. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall never get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross. Well, folks, thank you for being here tonight. I hope that you have been built up and that you sense that you have. Uh, those two things are, those are not the same things, right? You can be built up and not realize it, I suppose, or, um, or, or you can think that you were and not really. So hopefully both of those things walk together tonight, and, and, uh, but why don't we pray and we'll be dismissed, and I pray that uh, God would just bless you and keep you. Let's remember those who are in harm's way, even as we meet tonight. Um, who uh, may be just a little off-center from New Orleans. I don't think they receive just the brunt of everything that's going through, but, uh, but maybe other areas are going to be suffering in different ways and believers around the world who are meeting even now perhaps under conditions that are not nearly as comfortable as us. Let's pray. God, you have blessed us so immensely. I pray that we would not take the blessings that we have here for granted, but I pray that we would leverage them. I pray that we would leverage them for the gospel, that we would at the end of our lives and at the end of the ministry of this church, as it were, that we could say that we poured ourselves out for the sake of the gospel. Lord, I, I, I'm going to ask you some bold things. I pray that you would raise up from our, our church here even uh, those who feel called to go to the ends of the earth, to the hardest places, to tell others about Jesus. But I pray also, I pray that you would raise up the believers of Trenton Baptist Church, not necessarily to go to the ends of the earth, but to go across the street and to go across the coffee table 
and across the lunch bar to tell others about the hope that is in us. And I pray that we would be people, God, who exude the glory of God because we have been so changed by an encounter with your son Jesus that it would just be apparent to those around us. I pray for those who are meeting tonight or, or, or at different times, uh, different parts of the day today, uh, those who are fearing for their building, those who are fearing for their neighbors and the ability to get out of harm's way, those who are fearing for their very lives in other parts of the world, uh, who... who um, who know that today, if they gather and they are discovered, it will mean their death, but they gather anyway. Lord, I pray that you would remove from us all of the, all of the cheap and worthless distractions that keep us from gathering together and from obeying that command that says to not forsake the gathering of the believers. And I pray, God, that we would be uh, people who are known by, uh, by the changed uh, nature of ourselves that has, that has resulted from coming in the presence of the holy. God, I pray that tonight we would go to our, our various homes and, and you would keep us, you would comfort where comfort is needed, you would grant repentance where repentance is needed, that we would see unbelievers come to know Jesus out of the ministry of this church even this very month. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.